You're listening to TIP. On today's show, we bring you a fascinating interview with Evan Goldberg, who's the founder and executive vice president of NetSuite. Evan created NetSuite in 1998, and it's a company that creates web-hosted software that handles e-commerce, human capital management, enterprise resource planning, customer relations, and much, much more. The software is used all over the world, and in 2016, Evan sold the company to Oracle for $9.3 billion. Evan holds a degree in applied mathematics from Harvard University, and he was kind enough to sit down with Stig in Las Vegas to have a 30-minute conversation. During the conversation, Evan talks about his involvement with Larry Ellison, how to manage rapid growth, the skills he needed to develop and build a billion-dollar company, and much, much more. During the interview, the first minute of the recording has a little bit of background noise, but after that, it's a great cut. So without further delay, here's Stig's conversation with NetSuite founder Evan Goldberg in Las Vegas, Nevada. You are listening to The Investor's Podcast, where we study the financial markets and read the books that influence self-made billionaires the most. We keep you informed and prepared for the unexpected. Evan, thank you so much for making yourself available for the Investors Podcast. My pleasure. Upon graduation, you spent eight years at Oracle, first as a software engineer, and then later you served as a vice president. I think most people would say you, you made it. Keep climbing that corporate ladder. Why did you start your own company in the first place? There's a couple of reasons. Um, it really it was 1995, so it was sort of the advent of the internet. It had been only a couple years since most of us had sort of experienced the internet for the first time. So I just saw incredible opportunity there. I mean, it was clear to me that it did sort of change everything. I mean, you know, that's a cliche, but I could tell that you know there were amazing opportunities out there, and I wanted to take advantage of them. And you know, it was a time that I'd learned a ton from my first job, and I thought I could bring it to bear on some uh, solving some interesting problems. So what did you see? You saw, you saw some indications that there was a massive opportunity out there, but what did you see? Everyone was so connected. It was possible to get information out to people um, in a new format as easily as possible. And so for me, you know, what I'd been working on, one of the last things I worked on at Oracle was... Um, Larry's interactive television effort. He, you know, a lot of times he's right on target with a lot of his ideas about how things are changing the world. But it was a little early on this one. I remember watching, like, you know, video on demand, as it were, in 2008, 15 years later, and going, oh, yeah, okay, we were only 15 years off. But that notion of everybody being connected and being able to control more of what they see, um, everything we take for granted now that, you know, my generation, we sort of, um, that when we drove in a car, like if we wanted to talk to someone, we had to stop the car. We had to hope that we had change and we had to go to a phone booth and call them um, and hope that they were at home <laughs> because uh, that was the only place you could talk to people on the phone. So, you know, it, just the fact that the world was getting way more connected. That And for me, what was interesting, because kind of my career had been animated by this idea that we could bring powerful capabilities to sort of ordinary end users. Um, that's what I sort of saw is that, um, you know, these powerful applications, business applications, other types of applications could be brought in a really compelling way to end users all over the world with the internet. So, you know, that that's what sort of animated me in thinking I wanted to do something on my own. And tell us about your very first company because it was, it was far away from NetSuite. 
Yeah, well, so I, you know, I've been involved in this sort of multimedia stuff with the interactive television, and I wanted to bring more compelling experiences to people. You know, one of the things that caused the internet to take off was just that, you know, as legend has it, you know, Mark Andreessen decided he'd put pictures um, into HTML pages and, and the browser. And so for me, it was more interactive content. And the stuff, some of the stuff we take for granted now that you can use... Right in web pages. It was sort of really popularized by Flash. That was the same kind of thing that we were trying to do, just make websites more interactive, easier for people to use. Um, so take some of that power, these really powerful systems, and, and use the internet and multimedia and animation and interactivity uh, to make it come alive. Now, unfortunately, there was another company that had that idea. They were called Future Splash, and they were eventually bought by Macromedia at the time, which is now Adobe. To create Flash, and um, you know, Macromedia really had the audience of multimedia and interactive developers, and so they really sort of took over that market. And then, you know, so after about three years of running that company, while we had a very devoted following, it was pretty clear to me that it wasn't going to take off like I hoped. So, tell us about that process of doing that pivot. Like, how yeah. how obvious was it that it was going that route? You know, I learned about running a company. I mean, I'd, I'd run a, a group at Oracle and I've been a manager, but it's a little different when you have to make payroll, you have to raise money, uh, you have to, you know, you're really on your own out there. And so one of the things you hope to do is sort of run your business based on data. You want to know what's happening, what's working, what's not working. I mean, a lot of the things I've talked about today and getting that visibility into what's happening in your, in your company. And so as I was running my company, and we were sort of a traditional software company, it was not the, the uh, advent of software as a service had not, had not happened yet, and that was sort of what um, NetSuite um, tapped into. But uh, we were delivering traditional software, but uh, you know, we were running our operation off of like a smorgasbord of, of applications. So QuickBooks for finance, and we were using Yahoo stores to distribute our package software, and people, uh, we used package sales automation tool. It wasn't even an automation tool, more of a contact management tool. We did our support in email. So, every, you know, the data was everywhere. It was not integrated. Um, we had five different customer lists, and it definitely appeared to me that there had to be a better way. So um, that's what really caused the pivot you know, and I was lucky enough that um, Larry Ellison actually helped me with this company, even though it was more, you know, sort of my idea. Um, his later joke was, well, we did your idea and I'll do my idea. Um, and I told, you know, I, he called, because he'd periodically call and he'd say, how's your graphics stuff going? Because that's how he sort of summed it up. And I said, you know, not great, kind of getting clobbered by the competition. And uh, But I, I see this other kind of direction and I really want to get involved in business software. So it was in the course of a five-minute phone conversation that you know Larry and I decided to to that we'd go in a different direction and then I'd start um, NetSuite. It was called NetLedger at the time, um, and it really was his um, insight. You know, I knew that small businesses needed a bunch of different types of uh, systems and that we wanted to work together. That was sort of my insight. His insight was that really the best way to start, and he said, if I were to start a company right now. Uh, it would be sort of small business accounting mm. um, delivered as a web you know, service, as a web application. And I said, well, I don't really know that much about accounting, but you know, I, I can see how accounting would be important, but I really want to get into sales, sales software delivered over the web. So I think that's kind of what I wanted to know as a business owner was, um, where's my next deal coming from? You know, what's my pipeline look like? 
And he said, oh yeah, you want to do the front office stuff, but first we should start with the back office because that includes all your key information about your customers, your products, your employees, etc. And we're going to want to have a web store because these businesses are going to run web stores. The most important thing, he said, is that you want it, we want to run it on the web. They shouldn't have to manage their own databases and um, manage their, you know, their own uh, machines and all that stuff and deal with upgrades and uh, database software. And so at least he had the insight that Oracle software wasn't necessarily easy for the average small business to, uh, to implement. So that sort of was the whole idea of the company in a five-minute phone call. You know, it, it's amazing it could all be traced back to such a short phone call. How profound was it for you at the time? I'm sure speaking to a ton of different people, uh, but looking back, how much do you think, wow, this is, this is what shaped everything, or was it just business as usual? And Well, I mean, it, it was a fulfillment of me wanting to move into business software, but I didn't really know whether this was the right approach right away. Starting with accounting, I, I, you know, I sort of took that to some degree on faith. I didn't know anything about accounting. I was a QuickBooks user, but like the first day we started the company, I had to go out and buy an accounting book. Um, fortunately, I got some other people later in the company that actually knew what they were doing on accounting. You know, it really actually came clear to me just a few months later. I was at a party actually at Larry's house, and Steve Jobs walked up and he said, uh, "Well, you know, Larry's super excited about this accounting in a browser thing." And, but does anyone want to do accounting in a browser? And at that point, I, you know, I was sure. And so I honestly said, I don't know, I, maybe, I think so. I don't know, Larry seems to think so. But it was actually only seriously days later that we actually finished our first iteration of the accounting system. This was NetLedger. And we took our finances, financials from QuickBooks and we uploaded them into NetLedger. And I remember distinctly the first night taking a look at our financials of, uh, of the company in the browser. And that was sort of the aha moment where I recognized, yeah, this is going to work. I mean, the fact that I can have my finger on the pulse of my business anytime, anywhere, you know, from my experience running a company, I knew this was going to be huge and it was just a matter of time. And of course, Larry never doubted for a second. He used to tell me, well, you know, this, you know, there's been mainframes and there's been uh, client server, but this sort of web application thing, this is how applications are going to be run for the next thousand years. I don't know what's going to happen after that, but definitely for the next thousand years. And so um, he saw it. And, and you have to give Larry Ellison credit for his foresight. You know, he was thinking about web applications before. I don't know, even know if you could spell web application at the time. Yeah. So. How did you develop a business model around something that you know a handful, perhaps, of people knew would be the future? Uh, you hardly were convinced at the time. How did you develop a business model around that? Well, simple. We charged like I don't know, nine ninety nine a month or something. <laughs> it was, it was kind of you know flying by the seat of our pants to some degree, just to see who would you know. I mean, whenever you start a company, you don't you know you know it's a really cool idea. You know, there's going to be some people out there that gravitate to it, but you don't know who they are how much they're going to be willing to pay, what they're going to do with us. And, you know, we learned a lot in those first few years. There was certainly a bunch of early adopters that got it. And, they, you know, a lot of times those would be companies that were very geographically dispersed, um, that needed lots of people to be able to have access to the information and the fact that you could do it on the web. You know, again, this is only, you know, four or five years from the advent of the Internet. But there were definitely a lot of people that got it. You know, software as a service was definitely popularized by um, Salesforce.com and the whole no software movement. And, well, you know, the thing that we had to deal with is that salespeople 
are a little less risk averse or more risk tolerant than say CFOs. And we were starting with accounting. I mean, we, we were ultimately delivering an entire suite, an entire system to run your business, but it was definitely starting with financials and CFOs are inherently a more conservative bunch. So, you know, over the next few years, the challenge was to find those sort of forward looking CFOs, CEOs that were willing to take the leap into, you know, putting their data on the internet. Now, for me, it was an easy conversation. I don't know that they always bought it, but it was pretty easy to convince them that rather than storing their key customer information on a computer in the, you know, under somebody's desk that anyone could like stick a, back then it was a disc in or, you know, a USB flash drive or whatever and steal all your business information that maybe we could run it a little more securely than that. Um, so it was, you know, it was clear to me that they were going to get an increase in security when they went to that, to, uh, to, um, you know, software as a service. Uh, but it really took people getting used to it, certainly people getting more familiar with the internet and their personal lives and to really start to trust it. And, uh, you know, after a time, you know, the CFOs, you know, they did come along. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests to the maintenance to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a data-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, homeowners earn on average 20% or more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa makes vacation home ownership easy. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home by doing less, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com. That's vacasa.com to get started on your dream of owning a vacation home. Have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGBT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only aids you in your research and analysis process, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Today, I want to share such a tool with you called Meka. Meka is the AI-powered stock research assistant now enhanced with real-time stock data. Meka does a lot of the heavy lifting of sifting through financial statements and company data and delivers it to you nearly instantaneously, and the best part is that it's 100% free. Try it out today and ask Meka questions like, what is the financial health of Microsoft? How much cash does Copart hold on its balance sheet? What is the return on invested capital of Adobe or millions of other prompts? Check it out today for free at Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example with their dynamic design that rises to the occasion. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capabilities coupled with signature Range Rover refinement. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet, redefining sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offering next-level comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit light driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. 
You can enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. So the story of NetSuite is also the story of hyper growth. Like starting out with four guys and then thousands and thousands of employees. How do you not only preserve the right culture, but also grow the right culture in a company that's growing so fast? It definitely starts with um, having a clear vision and mission that you're consistent with through the history of the company. I mean, we were lucky enough that in five minutes, we came up with the idea of the company, really one system to run your business. Um, All aspects of your key business processes, your sales, your accounting, your commerce. So being able to, uh, you know, get people to gravitate around a very clear uh, mission and vision, a vision of how you want things to be. You want people to be able to run their business, you know, securely on the web with uh, one, one application, everybody working from the same playbook. That definitely helps. I mean, certainly, you know, a lot of the culture comes from just alignment. We were kind of in an interesting place. I mean, we'd come from Oracle, a lot of us, and Oracle sells to enter- had sold to enterprises. You know, I'd run a small business. I had some understanding of small business. We kind of, you know, our culture was kind of, we uh, mashed up that more consumer culture, you know, that a company like Intuit needs to, to reach the millions and millions of the Fortune 5 million, as it were, of smaller businesses. And the culture of Oracle, which is about building these powerful systems. Our first ad, we did a billboard because everybody in 2000 did a billboard. And our billboard was a baby in a fighter jet. So this notion of kind of mashing up this ease of use with this incredible power. So I think that our culture really played off of that, that we needed to have a culture that was very approachable for smaller companies. They don't necessarily want this sort of hard driving enterprise culture, but also needed to be scalable. We were obviously planning to build, you know, a a big company and and reach. We wanted to reach, you know, tens of thousands, you know, hundreds of thousands ultimately of businesses. So, you know, I think think the, the vision and the mission and just kind of staying true to who our customers were and really sort of mirroring our customers is what I think led to a great culture that lives on today. But it's difficult to attract the right employees. I mean, it's, it's different today. You're an established brand, but at the time, no one knew you. Yeah. Well, you know, there's always people that um, want to take a leap. And I think, you know, I mean, Silicon Valley was immersed in the internet. And so I think it was easy to explain. It was easier to explain what we were doing. It kind of just makes sense. Um, and you just show someone how it works and they're like, oh yeah, that's probably how applications should be for at least the next thousand years. So that was sort of helpful to attract some you know, amazing people into the organization. And certainly if you treat your employees right and you make sure that they're, you know, they're motivated, that they um, you know, can work the way they want to work and that they're learning and that they feel a sense of purpose, you know, it's just like a product. Um, your company is sort of a product in some sense and you want them to recommend it to a friend or colleague just like you want your product to be recommended. So, you know, that's that's certainly a part of growing your company is just the word of mouth you get from, you know, hiring great employees, treating them like they're the great employees they are and, and you know, making them feel at home and, and motivated to, to succeed. That's how you can build up an organization. So you said that one of the most important things you have learned while building NetSuite is how important it is that you can make changes, necessary changes, even though it might be painful. Mm-hmm. So how do you build an organization where the right people have the right information at the right time and the right authority to make those perhaps painful changes that needs to be done? 
you know, you, you, you need the visibility, first of all. So you need to know what's happening in your business. I talk about knowing, you know, past, present, and future, knowing what's happened historically, what's happening right now, and being able to visualize trends uh, that indicate what ha- might happen in the future. So it starts with that. Um, so you have the visibility into what might happen. And then as you, as you see it happening, you have to respond. And so that's where agility comes in. And everybody talks about agile, agile software development, agile everything. And, you know, it can't be emphasized enough um, that, that you need to be able to respond to things that are happening that you see out there in the world. And there's a real tension. There's definitely a tension be- between making sure you're staying on mission, on vision, going towards your sort of true north, um, and the tension between that and responding to things that you're seeing in the marketplace. But you don't want to get diverted. And so, you know, in growing our company, I think, you know, it's definitely part of leadership to be able to identify those times that you do need to pivot and then identifying those times where it's best not to pivot. And it's just leadership. You know, it's, it's interesting you would say that. You know, Smith of Google, he said, you know, the, the best companies, they can die from having too many opportunities instead yeah. of, you know, too few. Sure. How do you see that, you know, North Star? How do you see that process of being true to what you want to achieve and not you know, being diverted into shiny new items like well, all entrepreneurs yeah, can be. Yeah, it takes, it takes some degree of courage because you'll get some amazing opportunities, huge customers that will come along and they'll try to get you going where they want to go. And the allure of the big customer and the big deal is one that's hard to resist. And sometimes it's the right thing to do. A lot of what we had to do in building NetSuite was figure out how to sort of mitigate the fact that some of our biggest customers could potentially take us into directions that we didn't want to go. And I think is trying to figure out a way that you can be flexible and that may involve developing a partner channel or partners that can extend what you have. And this could be, this is not just in software, in anything. Partnerships are incredibly important and partners can be a critical part of addressing some of these needs that are going to bring a bunch of resources in, in, into your company without you know, getting off your path towards what your true north star is. So the solution is different in every case. But obviously, that's the that's the major balance um, that you have to have, and and every company obviously struggles, which making making sure they can get funded, they can invest um, in what they want to do in the long term. But you also want to uh, to stay on on track and, and on point. And, and, um, yeah, so I mean, I think at the end of the day, the focus is the most important thing, and I would always argue that entrepreneurs should you know ultimately weigh um, staying on track. And avoid things that are, that risk going off track. So, could you please elaborate more on your decision making process? By definition, we don't know what would have happened if we made another decision. And your job today is to make big decisions. How do you how do you use other people as a sounding board? How do you think for yourself about the right solution to a problem you know, that you're facing? Well, I you know, no person is an island. <laughs> And I, you know, certainly if I look at the growth of NetSuite and what's made us successful, a lot of it has been that we've built a lot of the company by consensus. Um, it's not by committee. That's different. That's, you know, you take a vote. But by consensus is, you know, ultimately a leader has to decide. But a leader that does this in a vacuum is going to fail. And there's so many resources out there. I mean, great resources for me, for me was Larry. And, you know, we generally did what Larry said, not maybe on the exact time frame that he said it, but he was always really incredibly supportive, saying, you're there every day running that business, and I don't see everything that you see. And I know it's terrifically hard to make some of these sort of wrenching 
wrenching changes. You know, so at the end of the day, I do think it's it, it's getting all the data in from all the stakeholders, re- being really willing to listen, knowing when you might be wrong, but you know, also having that persistence to stick with something that you truly know is right. And again, it comes down to that focus. When people try to distract you, give you advice about getting off track, you know, you really have to come back to that center of what you're really trying to do in the world. And this is true for for-profit companies, for social enterprises, organizations that are trying to do great things in the world. I mean, always come back to why you started in the first place and what you were trying to accomplish. And I think that's where success comes from. Interesting. So if we look at the tech industry, they had some very charismatic leaders. Uh, You know, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Larry Ellison comes to mind. And they've taken the company from their humble beginning into billion-dollar companies. You have gone through that journey yourself personally and professionally. Uh, Which skills would you have to acquire along the way and which faces? Oh, I mean, well, for me, I mean, I was only three years into running my own company. You know, I was like, you know, 30 years old. (laughs) That's old now for an entrepreneur, but back then it was relatively young. You know, there's so much you learn on the way. And um, again, a lot of it is about mentors. Having, You know, I had a great mentor in Larry. I had a great board, people that could advise me and make liberal use of that. Only so much time you have in a day, but time that you spend with someone who's seen the type of thing that you've seen before is, is time really, 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 really well spent. And um, so as I said, you know, I think it's ultimately, it devolves on you to make the hard decisions and no one is gonna care about it more than you. I mean, I'm still at NetSuite because I care about it very, very deeply. I mean, I like working at Oracle, but people say, you know, well, you know, once you're bought by Oracle, why didn't you go off into the sunset? It's because I truly, truly care about what we do. I really believe in it. I think we have so much more left to do. And that to me is what it's really all about. I mean, that was our vision. Our vision wasn't a dollar figure or a number of users or whatever. Our vision was changing the world in our own in our own way. How do you think about opportunity cost in the sense that you only have so limited time? Uh, there are skills you would like to acquire. It's tempting to delegate things mm-hmm. because you don't have time, yeah. but then again, you need to keep on developing as a human being. Yeah. Um, how do you see that? Uh, well, balance? I mean, it's definitely you got to figure out the things you're not going to learn and that you're not going to do. And, you know, one of the things for me is that I, I programmed for a very large history of NetSuite. I mean, one of the things, because it kept me really, really close to the technology, I loved doing it. You know, it became less and less of the amount of time I could do it. But that was something that I was not, you know, I was not going to easily give up. And I think in the early days, I had a big impact on the organization with that role. But at the end of the day, you've got to figure out which are the things that someone else should be doing because you can't do everything. And, um, you know, as someone that's an expert in a particular area, I mean, a lot of great entrepreneurs didn't necessarily grow up as general managers. You know, some may have, but a lot of them grew up doing, you know, doing it, you know, really being in there and seeing what worked and what didn't work and having a great idea. And so if you're one of those people, like for me, it was programming. I started as a programmer when I was a kid and that's where I, all my you know, companies really built out of programming. When you know something very, very deeply, I think that helps you recognize other people that know something very, very deeply. And I think identifying that talent, not necessarily understanding everything that they do, but identifying that those people are as good at what they do as what you do and letting them go and do their job is absolutely critical because absolutely you can't do everything and you can't learn everything. But then figuring out the areas that you are actually the expert in. And for me, I really, you know, I was an expert in how to develop NetSuite. So even when I stopped programming, I stayed very involved in how and remain very involved in how we develop NetSuite 
because that's an area that I know so deeply. And, and ultimately, you build a great team of people that are experts in their area um, that you trust, that you believe in, and you let them go and do what they have to do. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in over 20 strategic locations. They have extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T dot com. Corient dot com. As someone who's constantly on the road and traveling, Briggs & Riley has been a game changer that ensures my travel experience is phenomenal. I'm a satisfied customer of Briggs & Riley myself, and I can certainly tell you that their luggage performs. It's extremely durable, it has amazing features that make packing and getting around easier, and they have the best lifetime guarantee in the industry. If your bag is ever broken or damaged, they'll repair it free of charge, no questions asked, even if your airline damages the bag. They also just released their Simpatico collection of hard-sided luggage. It has this new one-touch feature, which allows you to expand your luggage, pack it, then compress it to its original size so a carry-on can still fit in the overhead compartment, plus many other cool features. If you want luggage that was awarded the best carry-on by Forbes, then now's the time to get it. Get your new and improved luggage at Briggs-Riley.com. That's Briggs-Riley.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard. All right, back to the show. So you've been mentored by you know, Larry Ellison. You had fantastic mentors in your career. Uh, what would your piece of advice be for the next generation entrepreneurs who might also be looking for a mentor? That's a good question. I, I mean, obviously, you should be looking for them your whole career from sort of from day one. And there's a lot of things that go into that mentorship, I mean, you obviously need to have chemistry. I mean, it's like any relationship in your life. Um, you obviously have to have an enormous amount of respect, but you have to see that they respect you and that they, you know, that you kind of each sort of grok each other. And so I think it's just a process of just being out there, you know, get out of your hole or whatever, you know, where you do, you know, your cube or your table or whatever. Um, get out in the world, and uh, I don't, you know, you don't know where it's going to come from, and it might not even be in the same industry. I definitely hear stories of people with mentors in completely different industries, you know, and and that's not going to suffice. You're going to you're going to need people that understand very very deeply what you do, but a lot of times some of the hardest decisions are people decisions, and you might find people in other industries that have you know 
You might find people in the military. You might find people, you know, that are teachers. I mean, you might find people or principals of schools or whatever, what have you, that have amazing people experience. And ultimately, as I said, leadership, you know, is so much of it is attracting, retaining great people, getting them to be working towards that same vision and mission towards that same North Star. And so mentorship in that regard can come from a lot of different places. Which piece of advice would you give yourself if you had to go back back to 1998 whenever you founded NetSuite? Chill out. <laughs> It's all going to be fine. I look back and, you know, I, I, I look back more and not so much what I wish I hadn't done, but what I'm, what I'm happy that I, that I did. And I think this is the most important advice I can give everybody is that success is, is fantastic, but only because you're delivering on the, on the sort of promise that you made to yourself to make a difference in the world and make a dent in the universe, what have you. And so I think staying focused on the little victories, you know, the, the first customer, the 10th customer, the 100th customer in some sense is more important than the 1,000th customer and will probably have a bigger impact on you. That first time you see the product that you built make a difference in, in people's lives is way more important really at the end of the day that it's a million people. I mean, that's, you know, we did, our brains did not evolve to even understand what a million people is. I mean, so it's, If a million people use your product or a billion people use your product, I mean, we tout the numbers all the time. But at the end of the day, you know, what's most satisfying is the one person that you're with, that you're seeing, that's using the product and is telling you how it's made an impact on their life. And the first one that does that in some sense is the most impactful. So I guess appreciating all of the milestones along the way, because you're never done. And, you know, for anybody that's an entrepreneur, you know, it's like, you know, it's just like, the Golden State Warriors, you know, they, they win a championship and then they're like, they celebrate for, you know, Bob Myers. I talked to Bob Myers. He's like, yeah, I celebrate for like an hour. And then I'm like, what are we going to do? You know, what are we going to do next year? And so realize that that is going to happen. And if you can take the time, especially in the early days to really appreciate um, those initial victories, because they'll, you know, that's as big as anything you'll ever, you'll, you'll ever do, no matter how big your product or service becomes. You are extremely successful and have worked with extremely successful people. And I know I'm just putting you on the spot here, but how much is luck and how much is skill in your experience? Luck is a, has a huge impact. And, you know, that I landed at Oracle and I met Larry Ellison and we hit it off and we, you know, had some similar thoughts about what to do. I mean, that, you know, that, that my business was sort of failing at the time that Larry had this idea that we needed to deliver software over the web. I mean, that's serendipity. You know, if I, my business was sort of succeeding and a couple of years later I realized that you know someone else may have started NetSuite and so um, there's a ton of luck and you know, nevertheless, nevertheless um, you know being out there and working hard and kind of just keeping your eyes open about what's happening in the world I mean that's going to only help you get that luck. Fantastic. Yeah. Evan Goldberg thank you so much for making yourself available for the Investors Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to TIP. To access the show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. To get your questions played on the show, go to asktheinvestors.com and win a free subscription to any of our courses on TIP Academy. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making investment decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the TIP Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Thank you.